Hey, welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus. And in today's video, we ask the question, are you afraid of the dark? Well, hey guys, my name is Lucas. I'm one of the pastors here at Evangel Church in beautiful Powell River, British Columbia. And I just want to say thank you, uh, those that attend this church and are part of this assembly. Uh, Lisa and myself, we've been away for the last couple of weeks. Lisa had a conference down in Florida. And then we just tacked on some days for vacation and rest and relaxation. So I want to thank you so much for the time to just get away. But irony of ironies, we, uh, we traveled, we did the whole thing. We took our COVID test. We took five tests in 10 days, all negative only to get a phone call that um, our kids who were still here in Powell River with their grandma uh, ended up getting COVID at school. So when we arrived home, Lisa went into the house and is taking care of the family and I stayed out of the house and I am bunked in my office. So funny, I went from one extreme of vacation, rest, relaxation to literally living at work. And so this is the dynamic we find ourselves in but we are glad to be back. We are glad to be in a new year and getting going. So well, let me ask you a question. How many of you don't especially like the dark, being in the dark? You know, I, I remember as a kid, uh, our house had m multiple levels. Down in the basement was where our deep freeze was, as well as our cellar. We were on the prairies, and so we had a basement <laughs> with a cellar. And so my mom would send me down from time to time to get kind of something from the freezer, from the cellar. And I remember I would turn on every single light going down the stairs to the basement. And then you get that thing, that item. And then it's literally, you pull, at that time I had a, like a string thing in the middle of the room. I'd pull the string to turn the light off and I would run as fast as I can, slamming light switches as I go to get out of the basement, up the stairs, back into the kitchen. I don't know if any of you can relate to that, but I was terrified of what was gonna appear the moment I turned off the lights. At least, kind of that's how I pictured it in my mind. The other thing I would do is I would stand at my light switch in my bedroom. How many can relate to this? I'd flip the switch and I would take the biggest jump I could to jump into bed to make sure whatever appeared under the bed couldn't grab my ankles. I don't know if you're with me on that. I don't know if you guys had those hangups as kids, but I certainly did. You know what, even now as an adult, there are moments when the dark kind of gets under my skin. You know, I like to hike, I like being out in the woods, and it's funny how a trail that you would hike by day all of a sudden feels like it's become a completely different place, a much more terrifying place with, with, with much, many more unknowns of what's around you. And it can kind of get under your skin a little bit. There's something about the dark, the unknown of the dark that causes us to be afraid at times, causes us to be unsure of what's around, what's going on, what the future holds. Now I can't be the only one. I can't be the only one. So today we're continuing our series in the Gospel of John. We're in John 13, 21. If you have a Bible, turn with me there. If you don't have a Bible, visit myevangel.church forward slash Bible. We would love to get a Bible in your hands to follow along with us. 
So John 13, 21, let's just pray before we jump into God's word. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this narrative, this story of your life, this eyewitness account of your life and what you did and how you did it and how you lived it. And so, Lord, we pray as we discover who you are, both as an uh, incarnate man who walked with us, but also as deity, God. Um, Lord, we pray that you would cause us to just stir in our spirits, to, to that truth, Lord, would cause us to change something about ourselves and the way that we pursue you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, verse 21, John 13. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now keep in mind, Jesus is surrounded by his closest compatriots. He's, he's surrounded by his closest friends. These are men that he has called his friends. And, 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 and this kind of interesting moment kind of presents itself in the life and the ministry of both Jesus and his disciples. One of you will betray me. Now imagine the grief that this caused Jesus as, you know, he poured out his life into these men, into these people. And, and, and now he's saying this statement, one of you will betray me. He has this insight into one of the individuals that's eating with him at that table in that moment. And there's kind of this sentiment uh, among many that would say something along the lines of, you know, I, I would believe in Jesus, but... I would need to see him. I would need to see him. Um, <clears throat> I would need to see him perform miracles and do the thing. And, and what this story kind of speaks to us is, is, is that's not necessarily the case. Jesus, even when presented with Jesus, might not necessarily capture your heart in the way you think he might. Now, I want you to just bear with me as we kind of discover the story of Judas in this moment. But there's a difference between cognitive belief and then structuring your life around that belief. There's a difference between knowing and knowledge and then wisdom. The application, the, the reforming of one's life in light of that knowledge. And rebellion, it plays a dark role in the human heart. If I can steal a sentiment from C.S. Lewis, and I'm paraphrasing here. But he says something along the lines of hell is a realm that is locked from the inside. Hell is a realm that is locked from the inside. Rebellion is often an act of defiance even in light of knowledge. You know, we subdue truth in order to structure our lives around what we want. And this is the human condition. One of you will betray me. In verse 22, the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? You know, it's funny because they were uncertain. The disciples were uncertain of who this might be. B, and and you've got to ask the question, what are the implications of this? Well, the one among them with this growing darkness in their heart could, could not be identified by the disciples. I, I want you to think about that for a moment. Judas is staying under the radar 
in terms of his behavior and how he presents himself within the context of the disciples and this group that traveled and ministered together. They're, they're not able to identify him. Judas blended seamlessly into this band of devoted and loyal men following Jesus day in and day out. You know, the outward doesn't always reflect the inward workings of a person. And, and only Christ in this moment has the insight of the hearts of his disciples. And this is kind of a disconcerting kind of picture um, when we think of the composition of those that follow Jesus in this moment, because really it's a microcosm of the greater picture of the church which Jesus does establish. And, and there's this idea that the church is not this perfect multitude. You know, in fact, Bruce Millen writes this, despite all the laudable and entirely appropriate attempts, particularly since the Reformation, to obtain a pure membership for the church, it remains, as Calvin acknowledged in the 16th century, a mixed multitude. Only Christ can truly unveil the heart, as he will do at the coming judgment day. Then and only then will the true flock of the Lord be assembled by the Good Shepherd, until then, the church is an irreducibly ambiguous company, at once both holy and profane, embracing the servants of Christ and the servants of Satan. This must, must not surprise us, however, or cause us to stumble. The presence of Judas amongst the visible company of the disciples throughout the course of Jesus' mission did not prevent the completion of the purpose of the Son, nor the coming of the Spirit, nor the witness of the apostles, nor the going of Jesus into the world through them. It need not, it must not prevent it now. You know, there, there, there's a warning here. A warning both to evaluate our own hearts towards Christ, but, but also to temper our expectations in terms of what constitutes the church. You know, doing, doing the right thing and blending into the culture of a local church is not necessarily synonymous with being a believer and follower of Jesus. I want to say that again. I want, I want you to just kind of just reflect on this. And I say this in love. Doing the right things and blending into the culture of a church does not necessarily mean and is not necessarily synonymous with being a believer and follower of Jesus. I love how Bruce Milnes deals with this tension here. This idea that this ambiguous company, as he calls it, that we call the church, can still be used to further the purposes and plans of God. And this is kind of the tension that we manage. If you haven't felt that tension, then you haven't been a part of the church for very long. But before we go on, and before we go around pointing fingers, we must evaluate ourselves. Notice the disciples initially asked the question, who is it? Perhaps a better question today for us, a better question as disciples is to ask, is it I? Perhaps not in whole, but perhaps in part. Is it I? Am I the betrayer? Am I the one turning my back on you Jesus. It's often in the darkness, in the secret, the, the disassociated places and spaces where the nature of our hearts prevent them, present themselves. 
I remember a time in my life when I was going to church. Um, for me, church was largely a facade. Um, <clears throat> I believed in a very shallow kind of way, but my life was not reflective. And so I, I, I ended up kind of creating two spaces in my life. One was secret, and, and I, 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 I had to keep them separated. So I had my church life where I was growing and I was doing all the right things. I was asked to be part of leadership and I was asked to be on the worship team and, and, and go on missions trips. And, and from the perspective of leadership, they saw me and they saw a growing, maturing Christian. Okay. On the flip side, I had this whole separate life that I kept separate. I disassociated these spaces of relationships and friendships and things and circumstances that were not of God and pursuits that caused some pretty dark places in my soul. And, and of course, my mission in all of this was to keep those two worlds apart. You know, the, the, the story of Judas is a cautionary tale. For first, first and foremost, to guard your own heart. But it's also to guard our hearts from being disenfranchised as we look at the hypocrisy at times of the church. And so there's this idea and there's this moment within this narrative that even Jesus as the pastor of his church, his tribe, his people there, had a betrayer among them, had a hypocrite, had someone who said one thing, but in their heart of hearts was pursuing something else. And there's this idea that we need to guard our hearts. We need to evaluate ourselves. We need to evaluate the dark places of our soul and why we're not giving them over to Christ. But also, don't become disenfranchised because the church isn't perfect, because it never will until Christ returns. In verse 26, Jesus answered, and it is he, remember he's asked, who is it? And he answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read the Gospels, I kind of come to these moments and I think to myself, were these disciples like complete morons? Like what? Like how obvious is it? Jesus, who is it? Jesus says, to the one I dip this bread and give it to, that's the person. Okay, and then he dips the bread, he gives it to them, and, and, and no one blinks an eye. And I just, sometimes you read these moments and you go, what in the world? How blind were these disciples? And yet in this moment, we see that there is something going on here that we don't fully understand because we're looking at it from a, a cultural dissonance, a, a cultural misunderstanding of what's going on here. So let's just jump into the first century eyes for a moment, if you will. In this moment, the Jews had adopted some Greek practices. And one of those was this idea of, of reclining at the table. And this is why the disciple that Jesus loved, as he's referenced there, most likely, most likely John, but we don't know exactly. Could have been Lazarus, could have been others. But most likely John, who is the author of this narrative. Um, Simon, who's too far away from Jesus, motions to John or, or to the disciple that Jesus loves, whoever's closest to him, to ask him who it is. Now, the way they would have reclined at the table is they would have been lying on their left hands, kind of like this, 
and then eating off the table and they'd be reclining literally almost like on couches that surrounded a low table. And so whoever the disciple is that Jesus loved would have been reclining within kind of Jesus there. And that's why his head could have been by his chest. And so that's why Peter motions to this disciple to ask Jesus, who is it? But the way it goes on when it comes to the morsel being dipped and then handed to Judas, it implies proximity. And so the idea is that perhaps Judas was on the left side of Jesus. So the disciple that Jesus loved was at the right. Jesus, who is the rabbi, who's the the person of honor at that table, had the center seat, had had the most honorable seat. And then it seems like Judas is seated at the left side. If that's true, the left side was reserved as a place of honor. So Judas is potentially reclining in the place of honor beside Jesus. Now here's why this is so important. Because it's not just that it's a place of honor, but also Jesus takes bread and dips it and hands it to Judas. Now, why is this important? Well, in the first century, in that context, for him to dip that bread and give it to a guest, someone at the table, was an act of great honor. It was usually, in fact, reserved for your spouse or for a guest of great honor. So I want you to look at this moment again through first century eyes. This idea that Jesus has Judas placed at his left side, potentially, a seat of honor amongst all of the disciples. He dips the bread and he gives it to Judas. Now here, here's what I want you to kind of think through. So like in understanding this, we can better understand how the disciples perhaps missed this moment of reveal. They were looking at it through first century eyes. Surely the position and act of honor would not be bestowed upon the betrayer. Can you see the disconnect for them? And then there's something deep happening here because it's true. Jesus did put, there's a place of honor and Jesus did do an act of honor towards Judas, even though he's revealing him as betrayer. And what this tells us is Jesus is offering Judas an out. There's this moment of love and forgiveness and reconciliation that Jesus extends to Judas in this moment of dipping the bread and handing it to him. And Judas is at a crossroads. And yet as we go on, we see that the darkness overtakes him entirely. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are doing, go do quickly. So no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what you need for the feast. Or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. It's so interesting to think that Judas took that morsel of food. He, he accepted that act of honor, that olive branch of peace, and, and yet in that moment, he hardens his heart entirely against Christ. You know, to, to, to the point that Satan now has full access to his life. And it's hard to tell who Jesus speaks to next, Judas or Satan. But he says, what you're going to do, do quickly. Perhaps he's speaking to both. And what we know is the disciples still have no idea who the betrayer is. 
You know, they know that this is a high-stakes moment. They know that Jesus being in Jerusalem is a high-stakes moment. They know that the authorities are out to kill him. They know that there's a conspiracy to murder him. They know this is high stakes. So here's my thought. If, if the disciples had any clue that Judas was a betrayer, at the very least, they would have subdued him. At the, at, at the worst, they would have killed him. And so there's this moment where Judas just absolutely escapes the disciples without them understanding and fully knowing the implications of what's going on. And it's not, you know, it's not long after this that Peter takes a sword, do you remember? And he, and he chops the ear off of one of the servants of the high priest. And, and, and he was not above violence to protect Jesus. And, and to think that Peter did nothing in this moment tells us that the disciples had no idea truly who the betrayer was. Again, there's this kind of amazing dynamic of play here. Judas played the role of believer so well in the presence of the disciples. And yet Christ knew the contents of his heart. You know, it's funny, during that season of my life, I, I went to a church in downtown Winnipeg where um, it was a smaller church, but the pastor there was often kind of used in words of knowledge. And many of you maybe have heard this story before, but it's one that kind of resonates deeply with this idea of God knowing the heart. And, you know, it was a weekend, it was a basketball tournament. Uh, we had played all day Saturday, went out partying Saturday night. Um, I had a game Sunday, but I had brought a buddy with me because he had no ride. So I brought him to church and we we're going to go straight to the game afterwards. And so we're in church. I'm tired. I'm a little hungover. Um, getting kind of thinking through the game and the tournament and what's coming up and the pastor's preaching and all of a sudden he stops preaching and and he calls my name and he asked me to come forward and so um it was a fairly bigger room and so there's there's a, a way we could have some privacy so he put his microphone down came down the stairs and he was a short guy so he stood a couple stairs up so he could kind of have like eye-to-eye -eye contact with me. And he looked me right in the eye. And he could, like, I, it was like one of those moments where I felt like he could, he could just see right into my soul. And he said to me, Lucas, I just feel like God's telling you that there's a crossroads before you. One path leads to his intention for your life. The other, you know where that leads. And it was funny because upon, like in that moment, the Holy Spirit would kind of just spoke directly to my heart through my pastor and I hit my knees, started to cry in repentance before God. My poor friend back there is probably like just wide-eyed, shocked, what in the world is going on? But it was at that moment where I began to take the alternative route. It was in that moment that Jesus dipped the bread of life and extended it to me as an escape from the darkness that was collecting in my soul. You know, this passage, it closes with a statement of fact and a statement of deep imagery. It says, and it was night, and it was night. The sun had set upon Jerusalem, but the sun had also set upon Judas' heart. It was night, the disassociated space, the separate space hidden from the light now came into fullness in Judas' life. And later we see that the mob comes for Jesus in the night, in the secret place, in the dark. And they illegally detain him in the night. And friends, the things that want to remain hidden and separate from the context of your faith has the power to betray you and ultimately to kill you. 
This is the, this is the main the, the kind of push of this moment in this story is you're at a crossroads. And we all are, maybe not in whole, but in areas of our soul, we are always perpetually at a crossroads. Will we keep this thing in the dark or will we turn it over to the light? And yet, even right up to the cusp of that darkness taking over entirely, Jesus extends his hand with the opportunity to come back into the light. He extends forgiveness and honor and grace to us that we don't deserve. And I love this moment because it speaks hope to us. Though Judas took the alternative path and allowed darkness to completely take him, we don't have to take that path. Because Jesus extends honor, grace, and forgiveness towards each and every one of us in every area of our life, in every area of our soul, even the places that we have kept in the dark. He wants his light to shine. Lord, I pray as we kind of consider these things, as we consider the life of Judas, as we consider the life of Jesus, Lord, may we see the contrast of light and darkness. Lord, may we see, Lord, even within ourselves, the opportunity for light to come into the dark places of our soul. Lord, would you forgive us for the things that we are walking in and we're perpetuating, those disassociated spaces, those, those places that we keep separate and we try to, to keep away from the light. And Lord, we even compartmentalize them and justify them. But Lord, in this moment, Holy Spirit, would you reveal the heart to us? And Lord, we thank you in that moment of revelation that there's forgiveness and there's grace and there's love. And that Lord, even right up to the moment of no return, you are extending that olive branch of forgiveness through Christ Jesus. So Lord, would you take us on a journey of coming back into the light in each area of our soul, in each area of our lives. Lord, we submit ourselves to you. And we know, Lord, in coming to the light, we find fulfillment and great purpose and your intention for us. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, I hope you hear the heart in this. It's not a, a get you, gotcha moment. It's actually a moment that Jesus extends love and compassion and grace and forgiveness. And that's available for you, but it does take repentance. It does take turning away from those things and turning towards the alternative that Jesus presents to us through his word and through his life. So I hope and I pray that today you'd be encouraged, that today, even in small places in your soul, that you would let the light in. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Lucas, for sharing this weekend. And I just have a couple announcements for you. The first one is we're actually postponing our nights of prayer to next week. So you were supposed to come this, like tonight, Monday and Tuesday, but we're gonna postpone it till next week. Uh, so we would love to see you January 30th, January 31st, and February 1st. Uh, as we kind of start off our year with prayer together, one of our values here at Evangel is we begin with amen, surrounding all we do with prayer. And so we wanna kind of have that heart and that focus over our year. So we'd love to see you January 30th, 31st, and February 1st here at the church at 6.30 p.m. It is actually gonna be family friendly. And so if you wanna bring your kids or your students, uh, you are welcome to do so, because there will be kind of different prompts and different prayer points uh, for adults and for kids. 
And so we would love to see your whole family there. And then finally, we have been so thankful for how God has uh, brought us through 2021 financially. And we believe that God is going to do that again for, for 2022 as well. And so if you want to be a part of the everyday work that we do here at Evangel, we would love your partnership, uh, both with our church and with God together. And so if you want to do that, you can go to myevangel.church forward slash give, and it will give you all the ways that you can do that. Well, thanks so much, friends, for joining us, and we'll see you again.